The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Scott Barber. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to us on America's Web Radio. Today, we're going to discuss the fact that healthcare is a political tool. Now, we've been talking about on this show since its inception about how we've been losing our medical freedoms and that government takeover of healthcare has become deeper and more entrenched over time that over the course of my career, which is now 30 plus years in healthcare since I started medical school back in 1992, government has increasingly gained control of our health care system and the dollars that we spend on it. This government penetration decreases your ability to care for yourself. It significantly decreased the quality of the medical pool out there of providers. I think over the last 30 years, smart people who have the ability to do a lot of different things in life make the calculation about how long it takes to become a doctor. In my case, I went through 13 years of training before I could even get to the finish line of training and begin practicing. And then I think people do what what people always do when they're trying to figure out what they want to do for their lives. They try to think if the investment in whatever endeavor they're undertaking is going to be worth the return on investment. And so for me, I was this was my calling in life. Being a doctor is what I was made for. It was what I was born to be. And, you know, I would do this for free. But into that calculation goes, you're going to be undergoing 13 years of training. It's going to be very difficult. There are no guarantees that you're going to get what you need or what you want. I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. In order to get into orthopedics, one typically has to graduate at the top of their medical school class, and they typically have to score well on their boards because it's such a competitive uh, discipline, and it's competitive because it's fun, and everybody wants to do it, and so they get to pick from the best doctors. And I think over the last 30 years, a lot of very smart, capable people have made the the decision to go into other fields, feeling like working all that time, putting in all that effort, accomplishing all that is simply not worth it to be an underpaid government bureaucrat. And so here we are 30 years down the road, and I can tell you that the quality of medical provider that we have has declined dramatically, and there is a contagion that has taken over our profession just like much of the world where there is so much focus on political issues of the day at the expense of the delivery of quality medical care. We talk about uh, when you look at medical journals and orthopedics, they'll talk about racism and femur fractures, two things that have absolutely nothing to do with one another, and yet there's a focus of time, energy, and resources on these things. Uh, there's also been 30 years of affirmative action and putting people into positions that really uh, don't have the aptitude nor the training uh, for those positions. And then they r- rise to to leadership levels. And we can just see the complete 
destruction of all of our institutions. And we've demonstrated it on this show over and over again. Now, everybody listening to this show, I know, is very familiar with the COVID pandemic and all of the scam that was put on us uh, during that period of time. And we've been doing a forensic analysis of all the things that happened there. And I want to just remind everybody what the great Dr. Marty Makari said and uh, in front of Congress uh, when he was uh, up on the Hill uh, participating in congressional hearings. Uh, this is what Dr. Marty Makari had to say about the COVID pandemic. The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Misinformation that COVID was spread through surface transmission, that vaccinated immunity was far greater than natural immunity, that masks were effective. Now we have the definitive Cochrane review. What do you do with that review? Cochrane is the most authoritative evidence body in all of medicine and has been for decades. Do you just ignore it, not talk about it? That myocarditis was more common after the infection than the vaccine. Not true. It's four to 28 times more common after the the vaccine that young people benefit from a booster misinformation our two top experts on vaccines quit the fda in protest over this particular issue pushing boosters in young healthy people the data was never there that's why the cdc never disclosed hospitalization rates among boosted americans under age 50 the vaccine mandates would increase vaccination rates. The George uh, Mason University study shows it didn't. It did one thing. It created never vaxxers who are now not getting the childhood vaccines they need to get. Over and over again, we've seen something that goes far beyond using your best judgment with the information at hand. We've seen something which is unforgivable, and that is the weaponization of medical research itself. The C CDC putting out their own shoddy studies, like their own study on natural immunity, looking at one state for two months, when they had data for years on all 50 states. Why did they only report that one sliver of data? Why did they salami slice the giant database? Because it gave them the result they wanted. Same with masking study. Well, the data has now caught up in giant systematic reviews and the public health officials were intellectually dishonest. They lied to the American people. Thank you. So there's a lot to take in there. The first uh, part being that these institutions that were always being coerced to rely on these so-called experts uh, as being the arbiters of what we can ingest as truth is a real problem in our country. You know, I'm old enough that I was raised in a country where uh, we were proud to be Americans. My father used to teach me that the greatest gift I ever got in this world next to my health was being born a citizen of the United States of America, where our commitment towards individual rights and freedoms and protections under the Constitution was the greatest um, political arrangement in the history of the world. Now, I know people out there want to detract, oh, you have racist history, you have sinners in your country. That's true of every single country on the planet. And uh, the great author Bill Bennett 
I wrote a series of books called America, the last best hope of earth, which was really great. I'm, I'm actually thinking about getting a book on books on tape with that one. I've read it, uh, four or five times and it goes through the, the series of books goes through the entire history of the United States and talks about all of the great things that happened in our country. It discusses every single presidency of the United States, all of the things of significance that were happening at that time. And they would compare things, for example, like our transcontinental railroad. And it would talk about uh, problems with it, of course, corruption. We had a lot of uh, Chinese immigrants that were working there. By the way, we always try to use that as an example of how horrible the United States of America, but the Chinese immigration was actually a benefit to the Chinese. They were choosing to come to the United States for work and a better opportunity than what they had back in China. Now, were there racist people and situations going on there? Of course, like there was in every planet. But what the book does beautifully, it, it compares the work on the transcontinental railway with the um, trans-Siberian railway that was going on in Russia at the time and the trans-Canadian railway. Very similar projects going on. And you look at the amount of time it took the United States to complete its a train, the quality of it, how it treated its workers was far superior than what happened in Canada or in Russia. And the beauty of this book is it says, yeah, America's got its problems, but when you compare it to the rest of the world, it's a pretty awesome place. And we've really lost that feeling in a lot of ways, and it's been on purpose. There have been uh, political efforts in this country uh, to push this Marxist communist agenda, which is getting greater and greater. And medicine is a huge political tool uh, used to try and implement that uh, that policy, these policies. Now, I can remember back in 1980, I was 14 years old, living in Hawaii, never played hockey in my life. And back in those days, we only had three channels on the television. And when the Olympics came on, it was a huge deal. It was two weeks of sporting competition the entire world. Everybody watched it. When I'd go to school the next day, you could talk about it with your friends. Every single person watched every minute of the Olympics. And there was some great stuff back in those days, Olga Corbett and um, uh, Frank Shorter winning the marathon uh, I mean, there was Nadia coming each back in the day. Uh, just amazing stuff going on. But the greatest sporting event in the history of the world was the United States against the Soviet Union in hockey. Now, you have to understand there's no way for people who didn't live through that era to really understand, understand after World War II how powerful the Cold War was. I mean, half the world was under the control of the evil Soviet Union communist dictatorship east germans trapped uh in in um uh, in their city there was the berlin wall that went up and it was just this focus on the west with its uh freedoms its rights its individual rights predicated on judeo christian teachings and the documentation of the idea that human rights come from god there was the west and then you had the evil communist, soulless, secular uh, group that was enslaving half the world's population. 
And part of the battle of the Cold War used to happen at the Olympics. And at the time, the Olympics was supposed to be for amateur sports. And so in the United States, we commonly had college kids and other amateurs competing in both the summer and winter Olympics. And we'd be going up against the Eastern Bloc, the, you know, the former Soviet controlled Yugoslavia and, um, you know, the Soviet Union and China. And they had their amateurs, which, of course, what they would do is go and find their talented athletes, take them out of the home and send them to a training camp where they would do nothing but train their sport for their entire lives. They were and they would all their profession would be they'd be in the military. So it was a joke. They were the ultimate professional athletes. And so we would have our young amateur athletes going up against the Eastern Bloc uh professional athletes at every Olympics and the West represented honesty, integrity, hard work, uh, dedication, commitment. Whereas the East, they were cheating. They were doing steroids. I can remember the, I can't remember which team it was, the Yugoslavian team or one of these teams, the, the, the women's uh, swim team came out or it was maybe it's the East Germans. I can't remember one of these Eastern Bloc countries their women came out all looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 72 Olympics it was so ridiculous they were obviously all uh using anabolic steroids and performance enhancing drugs and that was just the situation it was the cheating uh soulless secular um when no regard for human rights eastern bloc against the west which focused on individual rights and freedom and it was couldn't be any more stark than that. You know, when I was in school, we used to have nuclear attack drills where, you know, we'd get under our desks, you know, if we were supposed to be under attack as if that was going to do anything. But we went through this and it was on our minds that out there, nuclear Armageddon waited for us because there was this evil half of the world and there was this other half of the world that was the light. And it was led by the United States. And this is how we felt. This is how we believe things to be. And then you had this hockey game. Now, I'm 14 years old in Hawaii. I'd never even seen a hockey game before. Never played it. But the Olympics was on. And I remember the first game that I saw, I think, was the United States maybe against Sweden. And one of our guys with eight seconds left hit a slap shot from mid-ice and it went in to tie the game. I think it was one-to-one and they spoke about, wow, that goal and that comeback right there keeps the U.S. alive for a medal. And I remember thinking like, well, that's awesome. I'm going to watch the next game. And then uh, I think the next game that they aired was against Czechoslovakia. And at that time, I think Czechoslovakia was like the second best team behind the Soviet Union and we beat them like four to three, something like that, three to two maybe. And so now it's getting big and it was like, oh my goodness, like this is like we could win a medal. And so the world starts following this and you got these young kids. Jim Craig was the goalkeeper and he was the hero of this Olympics because he was in the net and they call it standing on your head. He just was stopping everything. Every time we'd play, the other team was just taking shot after shot after shot. You can just hear Al Michaels and other announcers, stick save, Jim Craig, stick save, Craig, save by Craig. And, you know, he just became this American icon and hero. And then we go against 
the Soviet Union. Now, the Soviet Union, if you haven't seen the movie Miracle with what's the what's the actor who played the coach? Um, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, that's going to drive me crazy. Anyway, you haven't seen the movie Miracle. Uh, then what you don't know is that the Soviet Union at that time, I think they hadn't lost a game in like 10 years. There's like the best hockey team on the planet uh, with all these, you know, great players. And there's no chance for the United States to win. But these kids believed, you know, and they were from the West where we understood that anything is possible if you put hard work into it and that God was on our side. I mean, it was just the ultimate clash between Western values of freedom and individual rights and all that sort of stuff against the evil Eastern bloc with enslaved population. The whole world is watching this and the game goes on and it is unbelievable. The tension was unbelievable and the Soviet Union scores first and we're thinking, oh, it's down. But then the United States came back and scored again and everybody was going nuts. And then the Soviet Union scored again. And then the United States came back again on a second goal. Oh my God, it's two to two. It was unbelievable. I, I can still remember my brothers and I just jumping up out of our chairs and running around our living room watching this game. The Soviet Union scores again, three to two. Oh my God, this can't be. It's over. Jim Craig, save after save after save after save. They, I think after one, after the second goal that the United States, the Soviet Union pulled the goalkeeper out, Vladisev Tetriak, who was like, this is so funny to me. I'm not even a hockey guy, but I still remember this stuff, you know, however many years ago that was, 50 years, it's coming up on 40 years, 40, 50, the eighties. Yeah. 40, 40 something years ago. And uh, anyway, they pulled the goalkeeper, which was astonishing. You know, that's how desperate the coach of the Soviet Union was getting. And so it was three to three. We're playing in the end of the game here and, you know, with, I don't know, maybe eight minutes to go. I can't remember what it was. Some amount of time. Gosh, maybe it was 20 minutes. I don't even remember. Michael Ruzioni scores that fourth goal and we go ahead for the first time in the game. And I mean, the collective world went nuts. Michael Ruzioni, I can still see him. I've never seen another skater celebrate like that. The way he was running high stepping on the ice he wasn't skating he was like running on his skates and the whole team filled it up and then here we are we're ahead for nothing and the soviet union just came at us for the last however many minutes that was eight minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes i can't remember and it was just all jim craig stick save stick save jim craig save and then we get down to the end and i can remember al michaels do you believe in miracles? Can this impossible dream be true? Yes. And the world went nuts. And it was a sign that the values of the Western civilization, that our belief in the Judeo-Christian founding of this country and that God is on our side and that all things are possible with hard work and integrity and doing things the right way, that the United States could win. And I remember at the time the Pittsburgh Steelers were coming off of their fourth Super Bowl win and somebody tried to put it into perspective when the announcers was saying the magnitude of this victory is like a bunch of Canadian college football players beating the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I just remember like that would be an impossibility, right? A college team of Canadian football players beating the greatest NFL team. It's not even possible. And that is how they described 
the United States beating the Soviet Union. Now, fast forward 30 years, they chip away at trying to tell everybody that we're a racist country and that we have a flawed country and that everything we did was by colonizing uh, indigenous people's lands and really just trying to refocus everybody's image on what the American experiment really was, uh, we see a population of people on our side that really don't understand what free speech means and how important the Constitution is to us and why having these enumerated restrictions on what the federal government can do to us and writing down on paper that our rights come from God. The government doesn't grant us these rights. We are born with these rights. They've tried to erode it away, and I can see it a reason for it, this attempt of this Marxist communist takeover of this country and Lincoln talked about it that no no army could ever take over the United States that if we fall it's going to come from within and that is what is happening right now and it is obvious to me when I see a population of people who are okay with misinformation right this whole concept of oh that person is spreading misinformation and so we should be able to silence them or you know we're just going to cancel that person or we just memory hole information and anytime anybody has a question about something they get immediately attacked and labeled and canceled right it's like hey i don't know if this vaccine is really necessary because i seem to be young and healthy and it doesn't look like that you're an anti-vaxxer you're a hater you're, you're committing violence against other people by creating vaccine hesitancy. And it's like people are kind of around me and I'm looking at people around me kind of going, yeah, you know, they are spreading misinformation. Maybe we should silence them. And what I want to show you guys on this show is that is the exact wrong thing to do. We need to get back to a world that respects our constitution and our individual rights because it's the only way we're going to maintain our freedom in COVID is the perfect vessel for everybody to see what's going on in the playing field. Now, we talk about our experts. Um, when COVID first came around, there were people like me that had been studying COVID and studying uh, the pandemic and starting to learn things. Why, why was I doing that? Well, I'm a doctor, and that's what you do when medical issues come up is – you return to your teaching, you return to your textbooks. When something comes up, you got to brush up on stuff. Like I brushed up on my immunology. I brushed up on my COVID, my virology, all that kind of stuff. And I had a big practice and it was quite obvious to me that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and other early treatments, vitamin D, etc., were zinc, were effective at fighting this virus. And what was alarming to me was that when people like me and other doctors were trying to bring this very obvious available information up, they were getting canceled and silenced and uh, pilloried by the media. And there was just this attack mechanism in place that involved media and our institutions, our medical institutions like the WHO, the CDC, the FDA, that all combined to try and shut down anybody who opposed the regime's
perspective on this, and I'm looking right here at this article uh, in The Last Refugee at Reagan.com. Uh, it's basically just a summary of this. It was June 4th, 2020. The medical journal Lancet has now fully retracted their prior claimed scientific study against the use of hydroxychloroquine. The Lancet study was quickly and purposely used by all major media outlets to attack President Trump for his advocacy of the drug as an effective treatment for COVID-19 virus. It now appears the purpose of the fraudulent scientific study conducted by a sketchy outfit called Surgisphere, who mysteriously appeared only after President Trump advocated for the treatment, was to weaponize medicine for political purposes. After they were exposed for their role in pushing this manipulated data, the Lancet has now fully retracted their study in an attempt to retain credibility. Well, I'm here to tell you guys, you don't get to lie like that and retain your credibility. This was two weeks after the study was published and people like me were going uh, in a stunned fashion. How did this happen? I, w- I remember in my own mind because the New England Journal of Medicine had a similar study. It was the New England Journal and the, Me- and the Lancet publishing these fake phony studies. And I have to tell you, not studies that were misinterpreted, not studies that weren't very strong, not that. There was no study. They completely made it up. And here's another little thing I can teach you guys. The Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine, they were in on it. This type of thing doesn't get past their peer review unless they're in on it. And so by the time the two weeks of this study had had been out there percolating, the FDA came out with its emergency use authorization and we were off to the races. The lockdowns got it uh, implemented, and the rest is sort of history. Now, to prevent them from changing history, that's why I constantly want to keep reviewing this stuff, uh, because um, if we don't learn from this, they're going to use this information to, to attack us again. They're going to use the levers of power, uh, part, uh, primarily healthcare, which is a major tool of the of political power. Now, I also remember this was from Jack Posobiec, and this was a report on the British WhatsApp leak that exposed how they were using the COVID uh, situation to push this narrative. And let's re- let's review when they would deploy the new COVID variant. When do we want to deploy this? They're calling them the lockdown files. These messages were sent between ministers, officials, and others showing how the government used scare tactics to force compliance of the citizens and push through lockdowns. And another message, Simon Case, the cabinet secretary, said that the fear and guilt factor was vital in ramping up the messages during the third national lockdown. That was January 2021. Prior to that, And again, this from the Telegraph. Matt Hancock, the then health secretary, appeared to suggest in one message that a new strain of COVID had recently emerged that would be, and I'm quoting here, the new strain would be helpful by scaring the populace into compliance. This has all been exposed. So this was all exposed on a WhatsApp leak with these communications between these government officials in Britain showing how they were knowingly trying to manipulate information about COVID to try and force lockdowns, force uh, 
mass vaccinations. So I'm here to tell you that governments are absolutely using the healthcare system as a political tool to implement policy over us. And there's a lot that they learned through the COVID pandemic. And there's a lot that we all as citizens had better learn. Otherwise it's going to happen to us again. Now I remember being just a regular doctor. I'm just an individual person out there. No, not nothing special. Uh, but I was very perplexed and a little bit concerned at how the media was presenting the COVID pandemic because it was what they were presenting was diametrically opposed to what I was figuring out as an educated doctor on the subject myself. Uh, the New England, I'm sorry, the Royal College of London came out with the mortality rate of COVID is 3.4%, which was obviously ridiculous. And I'm thinking to myself, why in the world would they say this that was so obviously not true? Are they trying to freak everybody out? I can remember actually having that thought. And, of course, that was the purpose. That allowed the lockdowns to get started. And I was frustrated because I knew that hydroxychloroquine was effective, because not because I did my own research on it, meaning I didn't actually get test tubes out and you know, start mixing stuff together and figure it out. I just read available peer-reviewed literature that was out there like any scientist and medical doctor could do. And the evidence was overwhelming. There was even an article by Dr. Fauci's um, NIH from 2005 talking about how effective hydroxychloroquine was for SARS-CoV-1, which is, you know, 73 or 78% the same as SARS-CoV-2. And yet you had this guy up here saying, no, 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 hydroxychloroquine not only doesn't work, it's dangerous. And so I was looking for an outlet. I was looking for a way to share information. At the time, I didn't realize I was risking my my being, right, because this is when cancellations have just become commonplace now. It's like it's almost like. Uh, we're, we're okay with people being canceled because they have other opinions. And so, um, I got in contact with America's frontline doctors and Dr. Simone Gold, who is, uh, a physician and a lawyer. She's a very smart person. Now, is she a perfect person? No, none of us are perfect, but she was very smart and she managed to organize a bunch of doctors to go to DC to hold a conference merely talking about what we're seeing with COVID. Again, we weren't offering our own new studies and research. We were just pointing out peer-reviewed data that was available to anybody who was interested in seeing it. And so we went up to D.C. and we had 18 million live Facebook followers. And the uh, the big tech completely shut us down. And I think to myself... You have 18 million free citizens that were interested in what we were having to say. We were not committing any violence. We weren't causing any danger to anybody. It's just the powers that be decided they didn't want you people to hear what we had to say. And so they just canceled us. They just shut us down. I remember texting with um, a Breitbart editor. I'm blanking on his name too right now. But he was texting me while I was standing up there, Alex Marlowe, and uh, he was saying, hey, man, you guys got 18 million live Facebook followers. And I was like, okay, good. We're, we're able to spread the word here and, and maybe help some people. And then it all got taken down. And 
the, the, when you look back on this thing, everything that we were saying has turned out to be a hundred percent right. And they admit it now too. So I'm going to go through that. But at the time they called us spreaders of misinformation and, and all this kind of stuff. And they went to cancel us. And when the, the, um, CEO of Google, Sundar Pichai, was asked why they did that. It said he, his his reasoning was that we were saying things against the FDA, like uh, you know that hydroxychloroquine was safe, and this was after the studies had already been retracted. So this is not based on science. This is not based on honesty, integrity, or accountability. This is on pure political power and money. And we, the citizens of the world, are the victims. And if we don't start to understand how to see this playing field and learn how to interpret information for ourselves, we're going to be in big trouble. We're going to go to break here for just a minute. I'll be back shortly, and we're going to pick this up. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on the Doctor's Lounge. This is America's Web Radio. We'll be right back. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. And I want to take this opportunity to invite every veteran listening, both uh, currently listening or listening to one of our podcasts, to go to our website, americaswebradio.com, and you'll be very surprised at what America's Web Radio is about to do. And you can look it up, uh, look at what you have to do, and... Uh, we invite you to go to our website and participate, all veterans, and tell your buddies about it, and let's make this a fun thing. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to us on America's Web Radio. Picking up where we left off, these institutions that are controlling us are not being honest with us. They're not looking out for us, and we need to learn to take care of ourselves. Now, we're living in this world where people are getting labeled uh, as known spreaders of misinformation, uh, designated so by 
elites in this country. And, you know, I don't know how one gets to get the power to do the cancellation because the people who keep doing the canceling keep being the ones found to be in error, but yet they maintain the ability to call out the other side. And it kind of blows my mind. Um, you know, you had Adam Schiff during the first impeachment hoax trying to impeach President Trump for a quid pro quo that he supposedly perpetrated with uh, Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine. Trump releases the the document of the phone call, the transcript, and you can see that what lying Adam Schiff said he said didn't happen at all, and yet the whole world went through with this impeachment like we didn't just read the transcript. And this is the world that we're living in. And then when Schiff gets caught, he's like, oh, I'm just being hyperbolic to make a point. It's like, no, dude, you completely lied about what you saw. And yet it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be any punishment here. There doesn't seem to be anybody held accountable for this type of stuff. And the reason is, is that these people we empower with the, in these institutions, whether it's our government elected officials or the WHO or the CDC or the FDA are populated by human beings that are capable of being corrupted. And they, in fact, are being corrupted. Now, I want you to, I want to just give you a little example of the types of people that we put in charge of our lives and our children's lives and just kind of see what kind of quality people they are. Now, a lot of you may already be forgetting about the fires in Maui because the media obviously and the regime obviously don't want us to be uh, scrutinizing what went down over there. And so that kind of just went by the wayside. But that was just a huge cluster and death that we still – does anybody know how many children we lost in – in Hawaii? Yeah, I don't know because they just are memory holing this information. But I want you to listen to the head of the water supply there. He delayed release of the water to put out this fire for five hours. I want you to hear what this guy sounds like. Commission is responsible per, per our authorizing statute to protect and manage all water resources in the state. One water is like taking it, looking at it from a holistic system perspective. You know, and in essence, we treated a, a native Hawaiians treated water as one of the earthy manifestations of a god in Akua Kane. We've become used to looking at water as like something which we use and not necessarily something w- that we revere as that thing that gives us life, right? I mean, to me, it's a shift in value set. So really my motto is always like, let water connect us and not divide us. Like we, we can share it, but it requires true conversations about equity. Yeah, that's just a bunch of the, the, this guy is being questioned as to why he took five hours to re- release water because they turned the water off here in Maui while the fire is raging and he's going off on Water is not something we use. It's something we revere like a god. Uh, I'm sorry, folks. If your jaw is not on the ground, just stunned, then you're listening to the wrong show because that, if that is not abnormal to you, then I, you know, I don't know what to say. Uh, that is utterly ridiculous. There was a fire raging. Children were dying, being burned alive and they needed water to put it out. And he's being confronted about his irresponsibility uh, at releasing the water for five hours, and he has the temerity to go off on this 
water is something we have a relationship with that we treat like a god that we revere and this is somehow in connection to our ancient hawaiian culture this is unbelievable to me and these are the kind of kooks and clowns and losers that are populating all of our institutions and he's not the only one we just had a horrific attack by hamas on israel now Hamas, a terror organization that has in its charter the elimination of Israel, that you can never get them on the record saying we condemn any kind of violence or whatever. They're chanting from the river to the sea, which is code for exterminating the Jews, all of the Nazis and the Holocaust. And we got apologists for these savages that cutting off little babies' heads and cooking them in ovens. And there, there are people out there that are trying to make a moral equivalency between Israel and Hamas. And it's utterly ridiculous. The, I want you to hear AOC on, on uh, her take on the whole Hamas thing. And you guys will see that she sounds incredibly, uh, clueless. She sounds like a leftist idiot. Listen to this. And the is very different than people expressing their First Amendment right to protest. Well, yes, but I also think that what people are starting to see, at least in, in the occupation uh, of, of Palestine, no is um, just an increasing crisis of humanitarian condition. And that, to me, is just where I tend to come from on this issue. You use the term the occupation of Palestine. Mm. What did oh. you mean by that? Oh, um, I think it, what I meant is like the, the settlements that are increasing in, in some of these areas and, and places where, um, there's no settlement where Palestinians are experiencing, uh, difficulty in access to, uh, their housing and homes. Do you think you can expand on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd also just, I, I am not the expert on geopolitics. <laughs> issue. You know, for me, I'm a firm believer in, uh, in finding a, a two-state solution in this issue. And, um, I'm happy to sit down with leaders on both of this issue, on both of these. For me, I just look at, at things through a human rights lens. And I may not use the right words. <laughs> these people, these people are not serious, okay? And she needs to be serious because she's a United States congressman. And her, I, I'm actually kind of stunned that this media person pressed her on these questions because normally the media is all in and you can see that she was stunned that she was getting pressed on this because she's not used to being on the left, having anybody press her platitudes. And her little talking points, they use these terms, occupation. Israel pulled out of the Gaza Strip in 2005. The people left there, these so-called Palestinians, had one election where they elected Hamas, a terrorist organization. They've not had an election since. The Hamas has in its charter the elimination of Israel, and they absolutely refuse to have a two-state solution. These are just platitudes. Uh, why the left uh, is so committed to this moral equivalency between these terror organizations, Hamas, Hezbollah, and Israel, I have no idea. I cannot understand it. 
But these are the people that are leading you. And the point I'm trying to make is that when you cede power to these people, you are doing so at your own risk because they're not only incompetent, they're not good people, and they're not working in reality. We just spent 20 years in Afghanistan, 20 years in Afghanistan. For what purpose? And, you know, we can argue and debate whether we should have been there ever or whatever. I know my own opinions have been changed over the years by this stuff because I, too, was young and dumb and kind of bought into the propaganda. And it took me a little bit of time to sort of see what was going on. But we spent 20 years there. For what purpose? Now, Dwight Eisenhower, when he left the presidency... And, you know, Dwight Eisenhower was a commander in chief of Allied Expeditionary Force in World War II. His final departing admonition was for us to beware of the military industrial complex. And the thing is, when you get these big giant corporations that get government contracts, that's just a steady stream of cash coming in from the taxpayer with no limits on it. And the people who vote to get, keep that cash flowing, are getting a cut off the top, right? The same thing happens with the medical industrial complex. You have lobbyists that pay off politicians to expand government programs because it's tons of government cash that go to these hospital systems. And then that money makes its way back into the coffers of the politicians that vote to expand government uh, subsidies of Medicare, Medicaid, SCHIP, all the rest of it, uh, and if they refuse to keep that taxpayer pipeline going, then forces are mobilized and these people are voted out of office. And so we simply have to understand this because our lives and the lives of our children are at stake. So 20 years in Afghanistan, and then let's listen to General Milley, uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Let's listen to what he has to say about it. To those who served in Afghanistan for two decades and lost family members and friends and wonder, was it worth it? Well, that's always the question, right? So 2,461 killed in action by the enemy in Afghanistan over 20 years. Was it worth it? Look, I can't answer that for other people. I can't answer that? Could you imagine if you were the parent or the husband or the wife or the child of somebody who lost their life in that conflict? How about the exit? Just for a political reason, Joe Biden wanted to be out of Afghanistan by the exact date that it started so he could mark a 20-year, just for a pure political point. They just withdrew in the most chaotic, irresponsible action, and you know, people's lives were lost. We had 13 American servicemen that were killed in an explosion, the the stupidity of how they did it, closing Bagram Air Force Base before evacuating people, the complete abandonment of native uh, Afghans that worked with the United States over the years, just completely thrown to the wolves. I mean, just a complete joke. And the reason that I share this audio with you is I want you to see that putting your faith in these so-called experts or these institutions as if they're going to make better decisions for you than you would be able to make for yourself is a fool's errand. And you do it at your own risk. And I'm at that, you know, I've learned in my life, I simply 
don't cede power to anybody. And I'm always teaching my medical students and my PA students and my staff and people that I mentor, you don't automatically cede any credibility to anybody based on their education, based on their position, based on their title. They are human beings and they are subject to the same sins and flaws that all the rest of us are. And we need to, you know, we need to maintain our freedom. And if we cede our liberties to these institutions and to these people, we do so at our own peril. And they are really working hard to control us through institutions like the CDC, the FDA, the World Health Organization. And we saw that during the COVID pandemic. It was very, very clear to me that I did not want to take the vaccine. It was very clear to me based on my own study of the data. And I am a doctor that's been practicing for 30 years, so I'm capable of figuring this out for myself. I already knew I don't want to take this vaccine. The risk wasn't worth it to me. But Biden came out and mandated it. And within hours, the hospital systems where I work said, you're going to get your injection by the end of the week. And so I was forced, I was faced with, am I going to you know, lose my ability to practice medicine or I'm going to take the shot? Now for me, I at least had the education and the understanding to know to get the, the J&J shot, which is old technology killed virus. It wasn't this mRNA stuff. And I remember when I went to go get the injection, I noticed that the facility wasn't a medical facility staffed with nurses and doctors and, and, and people like that. It was a political operation staffed by political types. And so I showed up there. They were all giddy. And I said, I want the J&J shot. And they said, oh, well, we don't have it. I was like, I'm not getting the mRNA. I need you to find the J&J one. And they walked around and, you know, they gave me a shot that they said was J&J. Now, fortunately, nothing happened to me. Uh, I did know enough to put myself on aspirin for a month after I got the shot because clots were associated with that and that information was ready available. So I was able to figure it out, but I absolutely will not put my faith in these people because I know that in many cases they've lied to us. And so I think the thing that has become really eye opening to a lot of people is the extent of the lying, right? It's like, okay, well, they lied a little bit, but, you know, I've had friends tell me, well, they just did it because they were under pressure to keep everybody protected from this unknown virus. And so they were telling little white lies in our own best interest. (laughs) That is not true. They knew exactly what they were doing. And I can prove it to you. And I have been proving it to you over and over again. The first thing is um, if you can remember back when Hal and I were sort of sharing information about COVID, what did we say? Well, we said there was early treatment with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, two very safe medications that, you know, it's kind of like I always used to explain it like this to my wife. If I told you that chewing gum, just a stick of chewing gum was going to protect you against a deadly virus, would you say to me, oh, I'm not going to take that chewing gum. I need a randomized controlled, double-blind crossover, placebo-controlled study before I try that gum. Or would you just take it, right? Because gum, I eat it all the time, even when there's not a pandemic, because I like it and it doesn't hurt me. I know it's safe, 
right? So in that case, if you were to just tell me taking this gum will protect you, it might not be true, but there's no no reason not to try the gum, right? It's not going to hurt me. That is like how safe ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were. And yet you had this massive media effort and these institutions trying to come out and say that these medicines were somehow dangerous, not only ineffective, but dangerous. And that's when my the hair on the back of my neck went up like, what is happening here? So, you know, to kind of say in a nutshell, Hal and I were talking about early treatment with hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin D. Uh, we were saying that the vaccines take 10 years to fully understand the ramifications for this is not just this vaccine. This is any vaccine. And the reason that we were saying that is because that's what we were trained in medical school and have seen to be true through 30 years of practice. And I, what we said was that the vaccine was a risk benefit analysis. And in my opinion, if you're talking about your school age children, the data was showing that they literally had almost no risk five times less than the flu of having any serious harms from COVID. And so that's what we said. And then what happened? The um, uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution front page article. I'm looking at myself right here. Dr. Scott Barber is affiliated with America's frontline doctors. You know, as if they like to do this character assassination by association, right? So if they can find anything bad about anybody, uh, they try to assassinate your character. So they were trying to say he's associated with America's frontline doctors because they knew that they were doing everything in their power to savage the America's frontline doctors. And to be clear, we're not some like long standing organization. It was just a collection of doctors who didn't, I didn't know any of those people except for Simone when I first went up to DC. And, uh, you know, so it says we're sitting there with America's frontline, doc- a conservative group that wasn't a conservative group. There were some lefties in there. And I know because one of them was a little cowardly about the mask. And I said something up there about the masks and he was a California guy. And he said something like, I don't agree with that guy about the mask. And I just remember telling Simone, like, what a loser, what a loser, like what a coward. And I still feel that way about him. It was so bad. Like I didn't even want to do anything if he was going to be there again, but he was right about everything else. So um, anyway, to finish this headline, my picture on the front page of the American Journal Constitution, Dr. Scott Barber affiliated with America's Frontline Doctors, a conservative group known for spreading conspiracy theories and unproven claims about COVID-19. Okay, well, one of those conspiracy theories was ivermectin is a good treatment for COVID. And what do we have now um, on the front of the Mayo Clinic website? Oh, what is it they say now? Um, you know what? Let's just listen to Maria Bartiromo talking to Senator Ron Johnson about the FDA approval of ivermectin because her passion really does justice. Imagine. I'm the known spreader of misinformation. You just saw it on the front of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, known for spreading conspiracy theories. One of the things I said was ivermectin is effective against COVID. Let's hear what Maria has to say with Ron Johnson. Learned this morning that the FDA is now saying that it's okay to take ivermectin uh, if you have COVID. 
am really, you know, the doctors I've been uh, dealing with and talking to for years now, uh, they, they believe that probably hundreds of thousands of Americans lost their lives because they were denied early treatment. And they were denied it because the FDA sabotaged, for example, ivermectin. They said, come on, y'all, you're, you're not a cow, you're not a horse. You know, this is, this is supposedly horse medicine. No, this is a Nobel Prize winning uh, medicine that, that could, could have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. So I don't get it. At this point, it seems to me, shouldn't I be moved from the conspiracy theorist known spreader of misinformation to the truth teller spreader of actual information? And shouldn't the AJC be moved to the category of conspiracy theorist and known spreader of misinformation? I think you guys can see the point here, right? They don't know what they're talking about. And I'm thinking here, do I play Fauci on Face the Nation saying how well the vaccines work? It's absolutely the case, and that's the reason why we say when you get vaccinated, you not only protect your own health, that of the family, but also you contribute to the community health by preventing the spread of the virus throughout the community. In other words, you become a dead end to the virus. Uh, So we know that's not true, right? So the question that we always have to ask, was he lying there or did he just not know? And I'd have to say he was lying because I knew. I didn't have access to near the stuff he did as the head of uh, the NAIA. And, um, you know, let's the great Rachel Maddow, you know, let's listen to her uh, great take on it. From person to person to person to person. No, I got, we got to hear this from again. It means we that go. instead of the vaccine being able, excuse me, it means for instead of the virus being able to hop from person to person to person to person, spreading and spreading, sickening some of them, but not all of them. And the ones that it doesn't sicken don't know they have it. And then they give it to even more people. They- Come on. Virus being able to hop from person to person to person. And drug resistant along the way. Now we know that the stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. It cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. So you have to actually see the video. You have to see her smug face. You have to see her smug face. If you get the vaccine, it stops. It can't go to another person. You're safe. And basically trying to call out people who didn't get the vaccine as you're the reason that this thing is going on. So, again, I have so much more to get to. Uh, I'm trying to show you guys proof positive that these institutions and these so-called experts and the whole concept of having experts and institutions that should be making decisions about your health care and your life is a fool's errand and we need to oppose it. Uh, we also need to start talking about how fabulous the United States of America is and I intend to start sharing more and more information about it. We truly do live in the greatest society that has ever existed. We're in some troubled times right now. But we will get out of it, and I believe we will because we are Americans. And Americans have a can-do spirit and a can-do attitude. And we also have a compassionate attitude, meaning 
we're not just looking out for ourselves. We're looking out for our fellow brothers and sisters out there. And I intend to be a light in this world. Like many of you out there, I have kids and I want to leave a better place to them than the one that I found. And right now we're sort of failing on it. So I hope this was eye opening to you guys. Uh, thank you for listening to the doctor's lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber on America's web radio. Everybody have a great week and we'll see you next time. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's web radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's web radio on the America's broadcast network.com. Thank you for listening.